Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 7 of the Light Vision Podcast, where I have conversations with people that see meaningful things in life. My name is Eric Fisher, and on this episode, I sat down with fellow podcaster and storyteller Taylor Gentry. Taylor and I met over coffee before the COVID-19 sanctions and quarantine lifestyles, and we had a great conversation about movies and stories and, and our influences and all that stuff, and it's really clear that Taylor loves all forms of storytelling, but it's especially clear that he loves horror and he loves monsters. It's not no doubt about it whatsoever. And what I love about his perspective is that he shines light in what normally seems like a dark genre. And I'm just so honored to be able to share this conversation with you. And I just know that you're going to have a deeper appreciation and understanding for storytelling after this conversation's over. So without further ado, Episode 7 the Light Vision Podcast. Okay, I'm here with Taylor Gentry, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. He's a storyteller, um, and we've had some really good conversations in the past, and I'm not going to try and introduce him for you. So, Taylor, would you mind introducing yourself? I will do my best. Uh, so, my name is Taylor Gentry, in case you already didn't know, and uh, I guess the best way, the way that I always like to introduce myself and kind of give people uh, a really brief overview of what I do, I call myself a storyteller because it is a bigger catch-all of all of the things that I actually do do. Mm. Um, I'm a podcaster. Uh, I have a show called Count Drahoon's Feature Fright. Uh, I'm an actor. I've uh, been an actor since I was five, so coming up on 22 years now. Uh, I'm a director. I'm a writer. Um, I mostly write uh, podcast scripts now, of course, but I've written screenplays and theatrical plays, things of that nature. Um, and uh, kind of sort of an amateur stand-up comedian. I only did an open mic night one time six okay. years ago, but I guess that technically counts. You're but in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I love the art of storytelling. Um, I'm fascinated by all the different uh, media. Uh, that is, you know, under that banner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, matter of fact, I've been this is kind of a very brief sidebar, but I actually went to a literal storytelling showcase okay. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, just folks who just, you know, wrote down. Uh, they, they they had a theme for that night. I, the the theme was like mixtapes and. Okay. Um, so it was kind of you know the soundtrack of our lives sort yeah. of thing. So they talked a lot about that, and it was great. Okay. Um, uh, so you know, I uh, I'm interested in uh, storytelling. So that is what I am, and that is what I'm aspiring to be because I'm I'm trying to pay the bills with that. Sure, so, awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. Well, that that's really great. So there's a lot that I want to get to because I have some information about we, because of previous conversations, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of stuff you're doing with Count Drahoon and all that that whole world was really cool. Um, but I also think that storytellers a catch all. And I want to start kind of in in the in the spirit of light vision in a way. I'll, I'll look at the origin if you, if you can. So like, where did that fascination with storytelling begin for you? Do you, do you know? Um, you know, it's uh, it's a really good question, and it's it's hard to give you a, a very a simple answer. Uh, sure. I'm sorry to say. No, that's okay. Uh, I remember growing up. Um, I can remember everything up till you know around age five. Okay. So like from age five on, and just growing up, I I was always a little bit different from my brothers uh, and from the kids that we grew up with. The, you know, the kids in the neighborhood and at school. Um, my brothers grew up a little bit more typical, shall we say? Okay. Um, 
you know, they were into sports um, at a very early age. They played sports. That never interested me. Um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't into that. Uh, didn't see the point at the time. But I did like. I was fascinated by movies, okay. and I was also really fascinated by fairy tales. Mm. Uh, growing up, I remember one of my favorite was for whatever reason was Rapunzel. Okay. But I liked the Disney cartoons. Yeah. I liked Sleeping Beauty. I liked Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And around age four or five in the late 90s, there was a big revival in the Universal Monster films. Yeah. Uh, Turner Classic Movies mm-hmm. ha- had acquired uh, all of the big ones that year, okay. so they were showing them for Halloween. Yeah. On top of that, Roger Corman, who's a big um, horror B-movie legend, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, he was starting to host AMC Monster Fest, and okay. they would show a lot of uh, like Hammer Horror films yeah. and stuff like that. And I remember Burger King also had, uh, with their Happy Meals, they had uh, Dracula, the Wolfman, Frankenstein, and uh, the Creature from the Black Lagoon yeah. as uh, options for their Happy Meals, or Kids Meals, whatever mm-hmm, you want to mm-hmm. call them. Sure. And also that year, my, brother, my older brother was Dracula okay. uh, for Halloween. Yeah. So it... All of that just sort of happened all at once. Right. It was just a perfect storm, yeah. uh, and it just it fascinated me. Yeah, uh, that was also around the same time that I watched Star Wars for the first time, okay. and I saw and Darth. Just a bunch of imagination, <laughs> right? And and I uh, uh, I saw Darth Vader, and I remember mm. thinking like, "Holy crap! Yeah, what an entrance!" Right, and he also had a cape. Yeah, and, and I think that was the main thing. <laughs> you know, I liked I mean, Batman whole... too, so just guys yeah. with capes fascinated me. Yeah. But from there, you know, I, I watched the monster movies with my dad because, you know, my dad was the one that really watched them when he was a kid. Okay. And also, when he was a kid, there was a TV show called Dark Shadows mm. that came on ABC. It was a soap opera. Okay. But kids, for whatever reason, um, really gravitated towards this show because it would come on right after they got home from school. Mm. And... Um, and, you know, it was a show about a vampire, and there was also other kinds of monsters and stuff. So uh, it was a huge cult following. Okay. So my dad watched that and just sort of kind of passed it on to me. And then and then over the years, like I got into God – like about a year later, I got into Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom got me uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla mm-hmm. on VHS when I was six. Yeah. That was my sixth birthday. Nice. Uh, I watched the crap out of that, <laughs> and then around the about a year later, uh, the around Halloween, um, the monster movies were starting to come back, and you know on TV. Yeah, I remember watching the Wolfman. Okay, and there's a scene in the Wolfman where uh, there is a gypsy uh, mm-hmm. named Bela. Okay, uh, they go to him for uh, the fortune telling. And he's got this very thick Eastern European accent, mm-hmm. and he says, I will not disappoint you, my dear. Please step into my caravan. And my dad takes a look at him, and he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. That's Bella Lugosi. And I said, well, who's he, Dad? And he's like, well, that's Dracula. Mm. And it's like, well, I thought Christopher Lee was Dracula. Well, Christopher Lee was Dracula, but this was the first Dracula. Yeah, like, yeah. this is the Dracula. Like, this guy is the reason why... Dracula has that thick European accent. Yeah, yeah. So, for my birthday, my mom got me Bela Lugosi's Dracula mm. on VHS, <laughs> and I watched it. and And I hate using a hyperbole, but this 
watching that movie at that age, it really did change my life. Hmm. Um, because that point on, it's like, I want to be Bela Lugosi. Yeah. And so I became more and more fascinated with the monster movies as if I wasn't already, sure, but but you sure. know, as kids, you, you kind really, of really leaned in, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you kind of go back and forth between different things. So, like, I was into Batman, I was into superheroes, sure. yeah, uh, the whole world of storytelling through comic books or monster classic, all that stuff, right? But that was at that moment, though, that's when I became like true blue, like, okay, this is my tribe, yeah. the monsters, yeah. okay. So from that point on, that's kind of how I made my way into acting. Mm-hmm. I'd been in a couple of you know little plays here and there you know before then, but I knew that in second grade, which was about the time that I watched Dracula for the first time, like I knew that that's what I wanted to do. That's yeah. what I wanted to be. Yeah. I wanted to tell those kinds of stories, yeah. and I wanted to be Bela Lugosi. I wanted mm-hmm. to be Dracula, <laughs> yeah, right, right. and that's basically how it got started. And, um. And it and, and that's it's important to point out in second grade, um, uh, my teacher uh, was a lady named Yancey Pearson, okay. and the, she has she still is, uh, but she was she became a very important figure in my in my childhood and growing up and becoming the man that I am. Uh, essentially, she's like my second mom, but she's very important because she was actually the one that. Well, for, for for one thing, she put me in a radio play okay. that we did for Fine Arts Night, and I yeah. played the Frog Prince. So okay. that was my yeah. quote unquote mm-hmm. first big break. And then she pushed me into you know taking you know summer workshop classes in theater, and that's just kind of how the ball got rolling. It was mm-hmm. because of her, and it was be- also because in the beginning, um, my parents were a little concerned about me be- because I was so different and because my imagination was so. Um, was just so crazy yeah um you know they were there were worries that maybe i was um you know developmentally slow or because i um i didn't quite do all of my work when i was like in kindergarten and and stuff and they were afraid that conceptually i couldn't differentiate between reality and, mm. and fantasy because my my teacher would basically grab me aside and you know he'd ask me weird questions like Okay, Taylor. You know, mailmen or dragons. You know, which one's real? Which one's make believe? And I'd be like, okay, well, a mailman's fake, and the the dragons are real. And my teacher would just get irritated with me and say, well, why do you why do you say that? It's like, well, I've never seen a mailman before, but I see dragons all the time. You know, they're on movies, posters, right, and right. all that. So, you know, I see dragons, so therefore they have to be real. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever sees a mailman anymore. Right. Yeah. The path, to, the path to your mailbox was so difficult you just didn't see any mailbox. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm five. Yeah. I'm not going to walk right. all the way out right. in my of mailbox. Course, of course, but, yeah. but that was the reason why like, they saw red flags. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they thought I had ADHD and all this stuff. And then Yancey was really the first person to like sit me down and just kind of talk to me, get to know me and work with me. And she came up to my parents and she's like, I don't think there's anything wrong with him per se. I think he's just he's just different. He just needs to find a, a, something that you know he can work with that he can do, and it was the performing arts. Mm-hmm. And so that's how the journey begins. And it, it's ironic because uh, the first big play that I was in was a technically a radio play, okay. and now as an adult, 
that's what I'm doing monthly yeah. here in Murfreesboro. Yeah. So well, so we'll so use that as a transition. So yeah. there's a lot that you mentioned in there that I think could we could. I mean, this is we could talk for hours, anyways. We, we could. Um, and I mean, we're talking about learned behavior, expectations, mm-hmm. per, passion pursuits, and then we wonder why as adults that we're you know, we're not like a kid, and we go to Disneyland to remember what it was like to be a kid. All that stuff I, I'm thinking about when you're telling your story, mm-hmm. which is really powerful. Um, but with your radio show, uh, Count Drahoon, what is it? What is what is that? Not, not, I've been there before, so I'm asking a question just for the for the podcast. It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> Count Drahoon is this. He's a little over a thousand year old vampire who is you know in very much in the old school vein of you know the old kinds of vampires like Dracula and and. Um, and you know some vampires are even older than that, but he's very much a showman. Um, yeah. You know he tr- dresses, tries to dress the nines. You know, of course, wears the traditional vampire cape with the collar mm-hmm. upturned. Mm-hmm. Um, but he kind of sort of gave up on his reign of terror a long time ago and decided that he wanted to be an entertainer. And okay. so the, the best way he does that is through podcasting and you know radio theater. Okay. And so the count presents stories. Mm-hmm. Um, that are told in a radio play format, meaning um, uh, the best way to to explain it is just like the old radio plays from uh, like the actual radio programs that you would hear before back before television. Was, yeah, before was television, like, yeah, yeah. You, like you didn't mm-hmm. have a visual medium back then. So if you wanted some entertainment, you listened to the programs like The Shadow or The Green Hornet, yeah. or you'd listen to Orson Welles's Mercury Theater yeah. or Inner Sanctum. Or, some of the know. best storytelling before we had visuals was, was on the radio. Yeah. Absolutely. So that is um, that's. The, very much the same style that Count okay. Dragoon presents uh, his stories. Now, since we're doing it lot in front of a live audience mm-hmm. now, there's a little bit of a visual component in sure. that you will always see the Count in his full, you know, yeah. full wardrobe, full dress. Yeah. And we also have a standing rule where the supernatural characters always have to be in costume, ah. except the normies. They just wear, you know, the Universal Theater, you know, black. Okay. They just yeah. wear black. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah so so that's that I so we do the radio plays but we also interview guests who have some sort of horror related project mm-hmm. and I try to be pretty broad because yeah. I don't just want filmmakers all the time right. although you know filmmaking you know I do have a pretty extensive background in that uh-huh. but I also want to have visual artists uh, I also want to have authors and um, other podcasters too sure. so and you know I kind. For broader appeal, I also sometimes I'll stretch it out in that you know I'll have somebody that has maybe like a monster-related project mm-hmm, instead of mm-hmm. just straight horror or straight yeah. sci-fi. Yeah. But uh, that's a way to sort of bring people in. Okay. Because oddly enough, I feel like I bring more people that are just interested in storytelling into the fold rather mm-hmm. than straight horror fans. Although yeah. I do have a lot of straight horror fans, but it's mostly people who are just sort of interested in things that are a little bit peculiar which sure. is definitely what we are <laughs> sure. well hey that's, that's that's pretty awesome but the one piece that i was interested in um i mean i think we all can relate to the monsters to some degree I mean, absolutely we all have i think depending on which which generation you have we have a version of godzilla you mentioned godzilla there's a, mm-hmm. there's a version of godzilla throughout 
generations of time. Oh, you're not kidding. I know, yeah. So then you, everyone can relate to some version of this type of terrifying mm-hmm. or, or mythical type of mm-hmm. storytelling, not even talking about comics or all that kind of and stuff. And not to split hairs about Godzilla, but you, you might find this interesting. So there have been over 40 Godzilla made, movies yeah. made since 1954, and that's yeah. just Godzilla. That's right. not counting all right. the other kaiju films. Right. But what I didn't – I actually learned this recently mm. – Every Godzilla suit is sli- is at least slightly different from the last. Okay. So there's 40 uniquely different... There is different. 40 uniquely... In a way, there is 40 uniquely different Godzillas. That's pretty fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah. I can't imagine how much money that costs, though. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, but the, if they, they keep making films, they must be making some money. But, you know, they did that. Like, they wouldn't reuse the same Godzilla suits because they would take... They they would reuse their suits, but they would repurpose them. Mm-hmm. So, like, oh, yeah. the, so the Godzilla suit that you saw in Godzilla... Um, Godzilla versus the sea monster probably would have been sort of remodified and made into a different kaiju sure, suit. Sure, yeah. So, yeah. So they had the, in a way, pieced it back together in mm-hmm. each new film. Um, but so, and the point that I'm getting at is that, that each of us have some semblance or ide- identification with horror or, or mythical beings or, you know, vampire. Everyone knows Dracula. Yes. Everyone knows uh, the mummy, you know, all these things. Uh, but, this is this is the light vision podcast. So, by by nature, light vision, I want to to shine light on meaningful things. So mm-hmm. we're we're accomplishing that goal. I'm hearing your story, and it's really really cool. Um, but, I mean, the the horror genre mm-hmm. is is dark. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's telling it from a different perspective. Um, so, what what about the horror genre to you? I mean, you've you've explained very well why you like storytelling and where that captivated your attention but what about horror in particular so for for me um it's it's a couple of things one thing i i i fear that people um mischaracterize horror fans sometimes uh horror fans are into you know particularly dark sometimes very gruesome kinds of films and the cliche is that, you know, there's something, you know, maybe inherently dark within them that makes them gravitate towards that. But I like to look at it as folks, myself included, we gravitate towards these mo- these kinds of films, these kinds of stories because we are trying to get – It's it, in a way it's like therapy because mm-hmm. we want to have the light within us. So in order to do that, we must basically reflect the darkness back into the darkness so yeah. that the light can shine through yeah uh so that we can be good people and that yeah. we can you know function in society because i do think that that is the human condition that we do have dark tendencies sure. and we have to exercise them so you know whether it be through you know myself being a a christian being religious you know i do you know uh, i try to have an active uh, relationship with uh, with the lord but uh, another way to do that is to, you know, have these outlets where we can get those bad thoughts, those tendencies, those demons mm-hmm. out somewhere else where they're not in us. They're, yeah. you know, they're out of the body and into yeah. something like a like a canister. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like they're, a trash. They're bag. contained in story mm-hmm. form. And in Ex- those stories, then the two that I heard that were produced in the live show that I saw. From Trahoon were I mean you saw a lot of meaning in them I mean they were entertaining they were terrifying at times they were dramatic certainly 
but there were, I mean, like any good story, there's mm-hmm. there's something to be plucked from it. And the lessons, mm-hmm. I mean, even Count Trahoon would come out and, and if you hadn't gathered it from the story itself, right, he, he would, would say, you may have noticed that there's some lessons here that you should have taken from it. Um, and I think that's what's powerful about storytelling, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a really interesting take to, to hear about or hear that perspective of, of you know, exercising it in that you're taking it out of yourself into something that's more controlled. Right, and I think it's that, and I also believe it is this concept of the outsider, which you've probably heard a million times, but it's true. You know, we gravitate towards Frankenstein and and Dracula because these characters are, they're unique, they're different, and they are, you know, they clearly stand out from the crowd in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think deep down we have all been there where we feel like maybe we're kind of the fish out of water. Um, And I've certainly felt that, you know, many times in my life. And I just think that it's a a good way to, um, you know, just kind of know that, you know, we're not alone. It's a a communal thing in a lot of ways. And in a really weird way, and maybe you've never heard this before, but to me when I watch, uh, you know, particularly like an older Dracula movie, I kind of feel hope. Because, uh, yes, Dracula is evil. Uh, in, in ways, he is sort of a demonic character. He's fascinating, though, because in a way, you know, he gets all the girls. He doesn't have to work. He lives in a big power. house. Yeah. Yes, very powerful. But at some point, it's like, okay, uh, the fun's over now. Uh, you, know, if, you know, good must triumph over evil. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, in these old movies especially, they do. It comes in the form of uh, Peter Cushing as Van Helsing, which if you don't know who Peter Cushing is, you should because he is awesome. Uh, but if you ever notice, though, like Peter Cushing, uh, you know, it, well, I meant to say Van Helsing. Van Helsing's a deeply religious person, mm-hmm. and that's how he defeats Dracula. And that's he's very clear about it in the novel and in a lot of film adaptations that you know, in or, you know, only God can help us defeat this great evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, you know, for me, uh, growing up, you know, that gave me a lot of hope that, you know, no matter how, whatever obstacles that we face, you know, whatever evils or, you know, troubles come into our lives, you know, there is hope and yeah. there is a way, you know, to be victorious. The light to meet that darkness. Exactly. In which the, the tale is being told. And I think even potentially simpler than that, than having a, a, a beacon of light where Van Helsing is, is he's bringing his crossbow and his all this all of, all the, the the relics to take down mm-hmm. the evil character. It might even be um, what I think is fascinating about stories is that it might even be just a realization of the character the narrator brings to light. Mm-hmm. So that even if they are falling in demise, the audience sees the character's development and not the end result. So mm-hmm. I mean, Dracula could and it does in many cases win. Yeah, he does. several mm-hmm. times. Uh, but in that development, you see the the terror or the the sobering humility in the in that character's realization, or or or, or just the the frankly the devastation mm-hmm. that he brings from an audience standpoint. You see that and you mm-hmm. relate to it because you say, "I don't like that. I don't like devastation." Mm-hmm. And how could I either escape it or or triumph over it? Right. That's that's. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. Um, man, there's there's a lot packed in <laughs> yeah i uh i'm, I'm bad about that no, you're not, no that's, that's, that's not that's not at all an admonition to you i think it's i think it's really fun to, uh-huh. to, to sit down with a, a fellow storyteller and one that has a large catch-all 
mm-hmm. and trying to look at the human condition both as, as hopeful but realistic at the same time, mm-hmm. saying not only can we, uh, you know, the rose-colored tinted glasses and say here's here's all these stories of hope and and those are beneficial and they're they're mm-hmm. empowering and and you know, light giving mm-hmm. but we also i think sometimes have to come to the darkness just be is, is simply to recognize that we have mm-hmm. it that, that there is a I mean, there's seven billion people on, on the earth of course and there's a lot of people that are either exercising their own terror and mm-hmm. their evil or the ones that are battling former evils or the ones that are tempted by evil and all of that stuff we can relate to. And that's very profound and kind of something else that I've always sort of stressed about whenever I talk about what I do. Mm. Horror, to me, is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Um, what I find terrifying may be a little bit different from what you find that's, terrifying. That's really true, yeah. Um, you know, for me, my greatest fear is loneliness, um, and it's 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 the fear of the people that I love the most uh, losing touch with me or betraying me. Um, and you, and if you look very closely in some of my past work, you can mm. you can see a lot of that. Sure. Um, a lot of I write a lot about grief mm. um, because uh, my best friend actually died uh, about uh, seven years ago in a uh, dirt bike accident. And um, that definitely played a huge, uh, I don't want to say play a huge role, but it definitely affected, you know, who I am as a person from that point it on. It broadened your perspective a lot. It yeah. did. It, it did. It definitely broadened your perspective about life. And it broadens your perspective about death. Not mm-hmm. in, not in a, 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 not in a, a morbid way, mm-hmm. but just in a way it's like, okay, well... I will die someday. Yeah. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. It's just going to happen to mm-hmm. all of us. So what what do I do with the time that I have? I, it doesn't help to worry about how much time you do have because when you start worrying about that, you know, you, sure. you get really paranoid and you lose sleep over it. Yeah. But what do you do with the, with the time that you have? Mm-hmm. And obviously to me the answer is, okay, well, I want to leave the world better than how I – found it mm-hmm. how do you do that yeah um and you know over some growth over the last especially over the last few years i've learned that you know my greatest strength um i i'm very good at bringing happiness joy to people i mm-hmm. make people laugh mm-hmm. um you know i entertain people yeah. um so i recognize that because that is such a profound gift that I have. It is a gift that is not mine. It's a gift that I, you know, received from God. But I do feel like that is why I am put on this earth is yeah. to use the gift that He gave me, the gift that I love to, mm-hmm. uh, to do most of all, uh, to use that to make the world better. So, and, and that's my biggest, uh, my biggest goal in life to, you know, to kind of sum it all up well that's pretty beautiful and I can Thanks. I can certainly see also I mean I don't know if this was played into it or not but Count Drahoon a thousand year old who wreaked havoc and terror like a drag, you know, vampire does and then reached some type of re- realization that he wants to put some good into it and maybe acclimate to what's going on mm-hmm. and, and it's a little it's a little Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little little. It's uh, a little inadvertent, but now yeah. that you put it that, like that's I, exactly I see, what it is. Yeah. yeah, I can see it's that. It's exactly yeah. what it is. Using the time you have in, in mm-hmm. a more productive way. Right. Um, 
Well, man, like I said, we could talk for hours. Um, but we don't have hours. But we don't have hours. <laughs> so we're, we're just going to continue the conversation in everyday life and hopefully that, that we can maintain that relationship. So th- thank you so much for, for joining the show. And I think that there's a lot of really cool stuff that you said. Um, profound to me. I mean, I learned a lot about your perspective, but also storytelling just in this short mm-hmm. conversation. So I appreciate that time. So thank you so much. No, thank you, Eric. I'm, yeah. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Let's do this again. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> And thank you, the listeners, for listening to this episode of the Light Vision Podcast. Really appreciate your time uh, to listen in to the podcast, and I hope that you enjoyed it. Certainly learned a lot myself about storytelling and gained much perspective through his life story and ideas about different genres and how story works, and I'm just honored that he would spend the time with me. He is a good friend of mine, and I appreciate it. Uh, that conversation and the others that we've had so far and looking forward to the ones that we're going to have in the future. And if you like this episode and want to support Light Vision Podcast, you can go over and become a patron of Finor Creations today over at patreon.com slash Finor, F-I-N-O-W-R, and, and support us financially for as little as $3 a month to show us that you care about storytelling and want to be a part of the story yourselves. So go there now, become a patron, and we're super excited about moving forward. A lot of things coming and including in two weeks a really awesome episode in the Light Vision podcast talking about boxing with a legend. Don't miss it. <laughs>